Allah says competition over dunya has distracted you from the akhirah and our messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam has established the same meaning in the sunnah as Imam al-Bukhari and Muslim narrate on the authority of Anas that he said alayhi salatu wasalam a man only ever gets older and older but there are two characteristics inside of him that only ever gets younger and younger he says the first of these characteristics is the love to live a long life and the second of these characteristics is the love for wealth this is a fitrah this is something Allah has put inside of us we cannot escape it now what does this mean? It means that there are very few things out there in the life of this world that has the ability to manipulate and influence and change a person like that of wealth. Very few things can change the demeanor of a person and derail him from the path of the akhirah to a different path like the power, like the power of wealth. Now with this in mind brothers and sisters, after having established how wealth is loved and dear to every one of us innately, I shift your attention to a particular generation of Muslims. These were the greatest human beings to walk the face of the globe after the messengers and the prophets. A people who used to be very, very poor. They were at the peak of poverty and destitution and then all of a sudden they became rich. But did it change them? This is what we are about to establish bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. We are due to be speaking about the companions of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, his very students, the Sahaba. They were people of poverty and let us consider the following. Imam Ahmad narrates in his Musnad on the authority of the companion Anas. Listen to this ya ikhwani and try to perceive what is being said and try to imagine the poverty. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, I was placed in fear at a time when nobody else was afraid. And I was punished and hurt at a time when nobody else was being hurt. And he said, I remember a time when 30 consecutive days passed when me and Bilal had nothing to eat except what little Bilal would hide under his armpit. Allahu Akbar. Poverty. Imam al-Bukhari and Muslim narrate on the authority of our mother Aisha radiallahu anha that she said the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and his family never ate wheat bread to their fill for three consecutive days from the day he arrived to Medina till the day he died. If he ate bread to his fill on one day, he would not eat it on the second. If he ate on the second, he'd be hungry on the third. Allahu Akbar. Imam al-Bukhari narrates on the authority of our mother Aisha that she said, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam never ate two different types of food on one day except if one of the two was dates. And Urwa, he would say, our mother Aisha radiallahu anha, she said, I remember times in the house of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam where a whole month would pass, a whole month, and no fire would be kindled in the house of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, meaning no food would be cooked. And she said we would be living off dates and water. She said sometimes, however, our neighbors would give us small bits of meat to eat. Qatada, the tabi'i, he says that the companion as Anas ibn Malik, he said, Never in the life of the Prophet ﷺ was he given the opportunity of eating soft bread. And never had he eaten fried mutton. In his life, he never saw these things ﷺ. Poverty, real poverty for the most part. And you all remember the narration where a woman, a man came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, Inni majhud, I am really hungry. I am really, really poor. 
So the Prophet sent for one of his wives saying, Hal Do you have anything to feed this man? Can he be our guest? They said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, we swear by Allah, we only have water in our house. He would go to the second wife, Do you have anything for him? She would say, Wallah, in our house we only have water. They don't have a single date. In the households of prophethood, there isn't even a date in their kitchen. We only have water. Until the 11th wife, and she would say, Wallah, we only have water. And you remember the narration of the Sahabi who came to the Prophet ﷺ wanting to get married. And he said to him, What have you given her as, as dowry? He said, I haven't given her anything. I have no mahr to give her. He said, Amhirha walaw khataman min hadid. Give her a dowry, even if it's something as simple as an iron ring. He said, Wallahi, I don't have an iron ring to give her. The companion said, so I will give her my lower garment. He said, if you give her your lower garment, you will be unclothed. You will be naked. The point of mentioning all of these brothers and sisters is to establish the poverty, the destitution for the most part of their lives and for the majority of the Sahaba. But things would change. Things would change. The Prophet ﷺ would pass away. After delivering the message of Islam with miraculous success and utmost completion. And then Abu Bakr anhu would assume leadership and he would fight the apostates Al-Murtaddun. And then Umar anhu would then assume leadership. And this is when the conquests began to rise. And now Allahu Akbar as Islam travels to the four corners of the globe. For the first time in the lives of the companions, they were now being exposed to the treasures and the riches of the world. Notice, from extreme poverty to extreme wealth. But did it change them? Did it change them? This is what we want to establish. During the time of Umar, the armies of the Muslims reached the gates of Paja and they were conquering their cities one after the other till they arrived to Al-Mada'in, which was the very capital of the Persian Empire. And they got to the palace of Kisra ibn Hormuz, the emperor of Paja. Can you imagine, Ikhwani? Can you imagine? Now they have arrived at Paja. This was the land that the Sahaba used to hear so much about in Jahiliyyah. They used to hear about the land of Paja, the weather of Paja, the wealth of Kisra. And now, and now with Islam, they are inside of Paja. They are inside of Al-Mada'in and they have conquered the very palace of Kisra ibn Hurmuz. They enter the palace and they now see what they had read about and heard with their very own eyes. But did they change? They saw the crown of Kisra that was studded with pearls and rubies, a crown that was so heavy with gold and silver that it was suspended to the ceiling with chains because it was too heavy to be carried by the head of Kisra without support. They saw the carpets of Persia that were sewn with gold and silver and pearl and had pictures of the emperors and the kings of Persia all across the carpets. They saw that. They were now seeing with their own eyes the chambers that they were unlocking one after the other. The chambers of gold and silver utensils, food and drink and cups. They saw it and the clothes of the emperors. They saw it. Silk, they touched it for the first time. They saw tons of kafur, that beautiful scented substance that is white in appearance, but the Sahaba did not know what it was. They thought it was salt. May Allah be pleased with them. So they mixed it with their food, with their ajin, with their dough, thinking it was salt. And then the ajin, the dough became bitter. So they realized it wasn't salt. And now, caravan upon caravan, loaded with gold and silver, was being transferred to Medina. 
from all across the globe coming to Medina and distributed between their rightful owners and spent back in the path of Allah. But did they change? This is what we want to establish. All of a sudden the companions now had wealth. They now, a lot of them had businesses and land. A lot of them were now investing as well. A lot of them became umara, governors of the cities and provinces of the world. Did they change? Well, let us look at Umar ibn Khattab, the Khalifa himself, Amirul Mu'mineen himself. You will be surprised to know that in his lower garment, in his izar, there were four patches. And in his upper garment, his rida, there were 12 patches. Holes that had been sown. And he would refuse to eat any of the luxurious food, despite him now being able to eat meat every single day. He would eat oil, salt, and bread. And his stomach would rumble and he will say, you're not going to eat anything luxurious till the Sahaba all eat it as well. He would refuse to sleep on any expensive bedding. He didn't change. And Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu was once visited by an ambassador from one of the countries of the world to meet this, this great man whose empire has now reached all four corners of the globe to meet these, these Muslims. And he asked, which palace does he live in? They said, look in the masjid, you will find him there. And he entered the masjid and he saw Amirul Mu'mineen, Umar ibn Khattab, sleeping all by himself in the masjid. And he looked at Umar and he said to him, Oh Umar, you ruled and you were just. So you became safe and therefore you fell asleep. No gods needed. This is the justice of Islam. But they did not change. Dunya did not change them in the least. What about Abdul Rahman ibn Auf, a man who used to be poor? But then became the millionaire, as we all know, Abdul Rahman ibn Auf, Imam al-Bukhari narrates on the authority of Ibrahim, the son of Abdul Rahman ibn Auf, that this millionaire, may Allah be pleased with him, was once presented with food. And he was fasting. He looked at the food and before he ate, he said, my companion, my friend, Mus'ab ibn Umair was killed in the path of Allah, in the battle of Uhud. And he is better than me. But when he died, we couldn't even find a garment to cover his corpse that was sizable, big enough for his whole body. And as for us now, we have become leaders and governors and we have wealth. I fear that Allah is rushing for us our good deeds in dunya so that we have nothing in the hereafter. And he cried and cried and he left the food. They didn't change. And they remembered their former state when they had no money. And their activism for Islam only became stronger and stronger when dunya presented itself to them. Allahu Akbar. And Abi Hurairah, who used to be a man of poverty. Listen to what he says about himself. I remember when I used to be sat next to the pulpit of the Prophet wasallam, and I would faint and fall onto the ground because of intense hunger. And a man would come to me and place his foot on my neck, thinking that I was possessed by a devil. Abu Huraira says, I was not possessed by a devil. I was just very, very hungry. This is who they used to be. Abu Huraira then became an Amir, Allahu Akbar. He became a governor from one of the provinces of the countries of the world. Did he change? This is what we want to establish. Tha'alabah ibn Abi Malikin al-Quradi. He says, I remember seeing Abu Huraira when he was a governor, walking through the marketplace, carrying wood in the marketplace like a simple average man and he was joking with the people because he had a sense of humor and he was saying make a way for the Amir he didn't change the hereafter centric people whom they were during times of poverty were the same hereafter centric people whom they were during times of adversity our mother Aisha brothers and sisters 
who was the woman who narrated many of those narrations that you just heard in the first part of the khutbah, where she illustrates her poverty and her husband's poverty, alayhi salatu wasalam. Things would change for her, and wealth would be sent in her direction. Urwa, her nephew, said that Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan sent for our mother Aisha 100,000 dirham as a gift to honor the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Urwa said she spent every single bit of it in the path of Allah. Notice, at one point she had nothing. Now everything is being sent her way, it means nothing to her. And she is still that God-conscious person who she was. Urwa said, I saw her as well, giving out 70,000 dirham, وَإِنَّهَا لَتُرَقِّعُ جَانِبَ دِرْعِهَا I saw her giving out 70,000 dirham whilst she was sewing her clothes. She was sewing her clothes and she gave out 70,000 dirham. Her servant Barira said to her, Oh Aisha, you are fasting today. Why didn't you leave any money behind so that you can buy some food to break your fast? She said to her, If you reminded me, I would have done so. I forgot that I was fasting, Allahu Akbar. Dunya didn't change them. And one final example, Imam Muslim narrates in his Sahih on the authority of Utbah ibn Ghazwan. Utbah, a companion who used to be poor, but all of a sudden now became a governor. Did he change? He says, giving a khutbah like this to his people, reminding them of whom he used to be and what he has now become and what he aspires for in the future. Ya Allah. He says, O oh people, I remember a time when I was with the Prophet wasallam, and I was one of seven with him. That's all. And we had no food to eat except the leaves of the trees until we developed sores all around our mouths. He says, I managed to get hold of a bit of fabric. I split it in half. I took half of it for myself and made a lower garment, an izar, and I gave the other half to my friend Sa'ad ibn Malik, who made for himself a lower garment. He says, as for now, things have changed, as you can see. And all of those poor companions have now become governors. We have become governors of one of the cities of the world. And then Utbah said, and I fear, and I ask Allah to protect me from being a person who sees myself great in his own eyes, but is small and pathetic in the eyes of Allah. He didn't change. Allahu Akbar, dunya did not change them only for the better. Why am I mentioning these examples, my dear brothers and sisters in Islam? In order, in order to address one particular phenomena that all of us are guilty of to one extent or another. This is the phenomena where you may see an individual whom, for example, during his university years in study, is a very active Muslim, is a person who is engaging in da'wah, person who is pursuing knowledge, who has a fixed daily portion of Qur'an, a person who is very much interested in enjoying good and forbidding evil and benefiting the ummah and setting a vision for himself and the believers. Naam. But it may be that the moment this person graduates and gets hold of the degree and now becomes the recipient of a monthly salary, a small five-digit monthly salary, this person is no longer to be seen. He has changed. Money has changed him. The masjid now says, where is so-and-so? Where has he gone? The enjoining of good and forbidding evil now disappears. His pursuit or her pursuit of knowledge now begins to deteriorate. What has happened? This person has changed. Never mind the wealth of Kisra ibn Hormuz, the wealth of Paja. Never mind becoming a governor of a city. A simple monthly salary causes a lot of us to change. 
and becoming a very average individual. And take this therefore, brothers and sisters, as a conclusion and as a rule of thumb. If you see a person, if you see a person, may Allah make us this person, whom after Allah Almighty gives him dunya, gives him success, gives him or her prosperity, gives him or her a successful business and a good trade. You see this person always remembering his or her past, remembering what they used to be, remembering those types of weakness and bankruptcy and poverty, and saying, Ya Rabbi, allow me to use what goodness I have for the benefit of my hereafter. Know that you are looking at a very righteous person because he is imitating the companions of the Prophet Zuhd, Zuhd, altruism, minimalism, to take only little from dunya is not that you possess nothing. It is you do not allow anything to possess you other than your creator. This is Zuhd. Otherwise, a lot of the companions, they had wealth, but it was in their hands, not in their hearts. It was in their hands and beneath their feet, not in their hearts. This is Zuhd. And thus our messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he would say, speaking about the value of wealth when it is in the hands of the correct person, he would say as Ahmad narrates in his Musnad on the authority of Amr ibn al-As, how good is pure money when it belongs to a pure man? How useful is money when it's in the hands of a righteous man? The Sahaba, many of them used their wealth as a ladder for Jannah. Uthman ibn Affan used wealth as a ladder for Jannah. Abdul Rahman ibn Auf used his wealth as a ladder for Jannah. Abi Dahdah al-Ansari, Abi Talhat al-Ansari. These are rich companions who use their wealth as a ladder for Jannah. This is what wealth can do, but with conditions. Condition A, it is earned from the halal. Condition B, it is spent in the halal. Condition C, the yearly zakah is given without hesitation or delay. And condition four, you do not allow this wealth to control you. You do not allow this wealth when it arrives to change you from the righteous person and the active person you used to be. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. Allah says, oh you who believe, don't allow your wealth. And don't allow your children to distract you from the remembrance of Allah. But whoever allows his wealth and children to distract him, this person will be from the losers. Therefore, the takeaway message of today, my dear brothers and sisters, is buy and sell, work and trade, invest in the halal whilst maintaining your portion of the Qur'an. Buy and sell and be prosperous whilst maintaining your portion of ibadah at night when nobody can see you. Buy and sell and be prosperous, but be a person who prays in the masjid in jama'ah and enjoins good and forbids evil. Buy and sell, but set a vision for yourself as a Muslim. Buy and sell and be prosperous, but before you go to sleep, make sure that the main questions that cross your mind is, who am I? What am I? Where am I going? Why am I trading? Why am I saving up? What am I doing for my life? What am I doing for my akhirah? Buy and sell and be successful, brothers and sisters, whilst remembering the words of Ali radiallahu anhu, who would say, as Dirar ibn Damra narrates, as Abi Nu'aym in his Hilya mentions, Dirar says, I saw Ali ibn Abi Talib once holding onto his beard in the middle of the night all by himself, looking into the stars. He was moving about and turning from side to side as if he was in pain. And I heard him saying to himself, this was Ali, saying to himself, Ya dunya, Ghurri ghayri. Oh dunya, go and deceive somebody else. Abi ta'arratti, are you presenting yourself to me? Am ilayya tashawakti, do you have your hopes on me? Hayhat, hayhat. This is very far, you cannot get me. 
I have divorced you dunya three times. You can never come back to me. Your life is so short. And your hazards are so easy to attain. He said, my provisions, they are so little. And the journey ahead is so long. And how scary a path it is that awaits. In this world, you will never truly be happy. No matter what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you, you will never truly be content. This place is designed to break your heart. It was designed that way. If you're looking to be happy in the dunya, you're in the wrong place. How could you feel worthless, my dear brothers? How could you feel worthless, my dear sisters? You're not the servant of Alat or Al-Uzza or Isa or Krishna or Ganesh. You're not the servant of fashion or money or fame or beauty or power or position. You are the slave of Allah. Allah has chosen you from amongst the billions of human beings. Allah chose you and blessed you with Islam. Pain and suffering only becomes negative if it creates a barrier between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it becomes positive. Pain becomes positive, a motivation for you when it brings you back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Oh my slave, come back to your Lord. Oh my slave, this is a reminder for you that I want to bring you back to me. On them shall be no fear, nor shall they grieve. Don't get stressed out, Muslims, over things that haven't happened yet. That's fear. And don't get stressed out over things that's already happened. Everything has been decreed. The most difficult pill for the Muslims to swallow is article number six of our deen, the qadr of Allah. We don't want to admit it. We forget about the power of Allah. We forget about the presence of Allah. We forget that we came from a clot and we were nothing. Muhammad Ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had to correct everything because we weren't doing anything right. And we get so afraid because we forget. We fear and we forget that Allah is in control. Surely we shall test each and every single one of you with a loss of wealth, with a loss of life, with a loss of profit and trade. So give glad tidings to those who are patient. Those when they are tested, they say to Allah we belong and to him we shall return. Upon those people are the blessings and prayers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And indeed, those are the ones who are truly guided. So if you have Allah, you have everything you desire. If you don't have Allah, nothing you desire will make you happy. Nothing. It'll all in the end bring you misery. Wallahi. And that's the truth. It's not a lie. My dear brothers and sisters, I would like to dedicate this talk to every individual who was abandoned by their father, who has loved someone in this world, yet for one reason or another was left abandoned. 
who has lost someone to death and they couldn't figure out why. There are people across this world who are living in pain and agony. Different types of pain, different types of agony. But it always comes down to the same conclusion. That shaitan, somehow or another, finds a way to get the better of them and derails them from the path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this lecture is dedicated to all of those individuals. We all have problems in our life, brothers and sisters. I mean, that's the reality. Life is a test. We are going to be tested. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do you think that you will be left alone saying you believe without being tested? Like those who came before you were tested. And even the prophets and those who were with them said, when will the help of Allah come? When will the help of Allah come? And then Allah says, the meaning of which is, verily, the help of Allah is always near. Subhanallah. So yes, we will be tested. There will be hardship. There will be difficulties. And that is the reality of life. And then you have to realize everything that's happening is from Allah. You know, you don't get depressed. If you forget about Allah, you end up getting depressed. You think things are black and they're gloomy. And do No, we don't believe this. We believe in happy endings. No matter how bleak it looks out there, it's dunya. You're in the lowest. Dunya means the lowest place. A dunya. We're on the bottom. There's only up from here. Really, there's only up. This place, wallahi, all of you, I'll give you sincere advice and myself. This place is designed to break your heart. It was designed that way. If you're looking to be happy in the dunya, you're in the wrong place. Trials and tests from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are not just the calamities that strike us in terms of death, in terms of loss of wealth. But there are also blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us that we don't thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for. And we don't use them in their appropriate means. If you are not being tested by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you do not see that test, then now is the time to realize that you're either being tested by pain or you're being tested by pleasure. They both need the exact same result. You turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The one who is being tested by pain, he seeks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's help and finds a recourse out. The one who is being tested by pleasure, he thanks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those blessings and he uses those blessings to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How many wealthy people do you know that have a lot of wealth, who have children that are in tribulation, who have sons that are completely wayward or really look out there. People are in tribulation. You think you're looking at him because he has a big house, he has nice Mercedes. If you were in his shoes, you might say, I want to be back in my old shoes, even though they have holes in them. Because at least I can sleep at night. In his shoes, I have to take all these pills to go to sleep. When it comes to tests and trials from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you have one of two choices. You can either deal with the pain right now and get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or you can delay dealing with the pain, seeking the pity of others, seeking help from others, and prolonging the pain without any recourse. And it's very important to understand the cycles that individuals go through when they go through pain.
when they lose someone that they love, when they feel betrayed by an other individual, the very first reaction they have is to isolate themselves. They want to be alone. Now this is more significant when it comes to men. Because men naturally like to deal with their own pain. They don't like to speak about it. Women naturally like to speak about their pain and suffering. And that's why their first reaction is going on the phone, going to see their mothers, going to see their friends. However, when it comes to true pain, at one time or another, you will try to isolate yourself. And this is the first thing you need to recognize that this is not what you want to do. This is not a natural reaction, but rather it is shaitan telling you that you will feel better when you're alone because you're the only one that understands what you're going through. It is a deception from shaitan. So while you may need to be alone for a little while, prolonged isolation is very harmful and detrimental to your situation. What you want to do at that time is that short period of time, once you've gotten over that initial rage, that initial pain, then after that you need to get around the believers. You need to get around people who are going to remind you of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even in Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he is the Prophet and the Messenger of Allah, he went through stressful moments. What was the solution that Allah gave his beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say to him, Oh Muhammad, go and see psychologists and counselors so you could relieve your stress? Go on anti-depression tablets, get a high dosage of that. Because this is what happens these days. Not that I'm against it saying it's right or wrong. That's not my topic. But I'm saying that the best relief and the best cure and the best medicine for depression and stress is the one that Allah gave Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and gave to the entire ummah. So Allah azza wa jal gives him the cure and he says, فَسَبَّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَكُمْ مِنَ السَّاجِدِينَ وَعْبُدْ رَبَّكَ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَكَ الْيَقِينَ This is the cure. This is the medicine. Remember Allah Azza wa Jal and glorify Him. Prostrate to Allah and pray to Him. Continue worshipping the Lord until you meet your last moment in life. And this is what every individual who's going through pain and suffering needs to realize. That this point of pain and suffering is not that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to punish you. But rather, this is a calling from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Oh my slave, come back to your Lord. Oh my slave, this is a reminder for you that I want to bring you back to me. And this is one of the wisdoms of trials and tribulations. That while we call each other on the phone, while we text message each other, the calling of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes through trials and tribulations. And you can react one of two ways. Either you can deal with the pain at that moment and decide to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or you can decide to just restrict that pain to yourself, not do anything about it, and then you'll see what it does to your deen. And this is the last stage of the cycle of isolation, that once you're isolated, you'll see that eventually your deen starts to disappear. The content of your salah, the khushu on your salah, it disappears. Your ability to recite the Qur'an is no longer there. Your ability to fast during the day, it gets taken away. What did you do differently? What you did differently was you gave yourself into shaitan. And shaitan's promise is that he will lead you astray. He will lead you away from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in times of trials and tribulation, you need to seek out the believers. You need to seek out the righteous and let them be your guide and help to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everybody has their tribulations. 
And it's very rare, people that have happy time, wonderful life, all that, those people are rare. But Ibn Abbas said, the foundation of dunya is tribulation. The best worship is waiting for the ease from Allah to come when you're in hardship. So if Muslim would just have that perspective, they would realize that if I'm just patient here with all these tribulations, I'm in ibadah. You could just be sitting in your house. And if you're muhtasib with Allah, you're in ibadah. But if you're there complaining and woe is me and everything's horrible and it's doom and gloom and it's all black and it's all dark, Allah will give you more things to complain about. And He'll give you some real things to complain about because there's a hadith, if you complain about small calamities, Allah gives you great calamities. Trials and tribulations are a means of purification. They're a means of purifying you so you can go to the purest of places. The punishment of Allah is not out of anger and wrath. The punishment of Allah is a means of cleansing you of your sins. The punishment of Allah is a preparation that you can go into noblest and purest of places. Al-Firdaus Al-A'la And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends trials and tribulations. And that's why Ibn Abbas said that in every ni'mah, there are three ni'mah. In every tribulation, there are three blessings. And the first one is that it could be worse than it is. That it's in your worldly matters and not in your deen. Like if you lose money, is money. But if you lose deen, you lost everything. So that's a ni'mah. If it's لا تجعل مصيبتنا في ديننا. I mean, if you think about it, he didn't say لا تصبنا. Do you see the dua? He didn't say لا تصبنا يا Allah. Don't give us any calamities. He said لا تجعل مصيبتنا في ديننا. Don't give us tribulation in our deen. We're going to get tribulation. And we know that because that's the nature of dunya. So you're going to get tribulation, but don't make it in deen. Make it in dunya. So that's a ni'mah. You lost your job. Alhamdulillah, I didn't miss my prayers. Alhamdulillah, I, I didn't lose my iman. Alhamdulillah, there's wudu and a place to pray. Because jobs come and go. But deen, once it's gone, Allahu Alam, if you'll ever get it back. And then the final one, it's in this world, it's fid dunya wala fil akhirah. As long as the musibah is in this world, it's a ni'mah. Because the real musibah is the musibah in the next world. So if you look at that and realize we're in blessing, wallahi, the whole lot of us. Some may be more than others outwardly, more observable, but the whole ummah is in blessing, wallahi. Palestine, Kashmir, Shishan, everywhere. We're in ni'mah and you have to see it. You have to see it. Because we have, you know, the people of Kufar, they have no Lord. We have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and as long as you have Allah, they can't take anything away from you. Everything you desire exists with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if you have Allah, you have everything you desire. If you don't have Allah, nothing you desire will make you happy. Nothing. It'll all in the end bring you misery. Wallahi. And that's the truth. It's not a lie. In this world, you will never truly be happy. No matter what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you, you will never truly be content. You can have the most amount of money in the world. You can have the biggest house. You can have the most beautiful spouse. 
You can have everything that you desire and you'll never be happy. True contentment and satisfaction comes in the Akhirah alone. It comes when we are in paradise. All of this is about perspective and how you deal with the situation. And that is why it is very important that an individual who goes through trial, he changes his perspective of the trial. It's not a punishment from Allah, it's a means to get closer. It is not a punishment from Allah, it's a calling from Allah that He wants you to come back to Him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He does not burden a soul more than it can bear. A lot of the times when we go through trials and tribulations, it feels that this trial is so great that there's no one being persecuted more than us at that given moment. But the reality of the situation is, that is not the case. There's always someone who is in a worse predicament than you. Now the situation is already as difficult as it is, you're going through a trial. Why make it worse by not being patient? Because you're only incurring the wrath of Allah. And an individual who's patient and remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they get the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon them. They get the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends off the verse by saying, وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمَ الْمُحْتَدُونَ that they are the ones who are truly guided. When you are stressed, remember Allah Azza wa Jal. When you are depressed, pray to Allah Azza wa Jal and ask Allah Azza wa Jal to relieve your stress. When you are so worried, during your moment of stress, say Subhanallah, Subhanallah. Why is it when someone gets angry, they will utter with every single word that comes across their mind except saying Subhanallah. You know why? Because the moment they say Subhanallah, they will calm down. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. The close servants to Allah Azza wa Jal, there is no fear on them and there is no sadness for them. What's the point of having all the money of this dunya? and the luxury of this world, and the comfort of this world, and the strength and the power and the influence, and the influence that anyone that can obtain in this world, and Allah is not happy from you, what's the point of it? What's the point? Of course you're sad. Of course you're sad. You are sad because Allah is not happy from you. Please Allah, Allah will make you happy. But you want to commit the sins during the day and night, and you want to be happy, and Allah is happy from you, that's impossible. You want to disobey Allah Azza wa Jal and you want Allah to make you happy in return, that will never happen. You want to fall into the haram and you want Allah Azza wa Jal to make you happy, that will never happen. And that's why my brother and sister, when you are sad and depressed, ask yourself that question. Before you look into your bank account, how much money you've got there, and before you make an appointment with a psychologist or a doctor, and before you sit and speak to this person, that person, ask yourself, what's your relationship between you and Allah Azza wa Jal? Because of that relationship you are sad. Because of your tongue being dry from not remembering Allah Azza wa Jal, you are sad. Wallahi, from the moment you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from the moment you knock on the gate of Allah Azza wa Jal and pray to Him, you feel the taste of happiness in your heart. Because darkness in the heart brings sadness. Darkness in the heart brings sadness. 
Darkness in the heart brings depression. Darkness in the heart brings stress. But light and nur brings happiness. Light and nur brings comfort. Light and nur brings calmness and tranquility. We have the wrong understanding of comfort and tranquility. We think that money is happiness. We think that power is happiness. Wallahi, Allah knows. No one is happy with just money. And no one is just happy with fame. You hear every single day, the richest people commit suicide. Why? The most famous people on drugs. Why? If they were happy, why do they go on drugs for? If they were happy with the money they had, why do they commit suicide for? Dunya is their worry. Dunya is their stress. Dunya is their concern. But subhanallah, you're a mu'min, you're a believer. That's your concern every single day is how to please Allah Azza wa Jal. You sleep the best sleep. You wake up the best. You eat the best. Your heart is the best. Your comfort is the best. Subhanallah. When you please Allah Azza wa Jal, Allah puts happiness in your heart. When you please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah makes you content. When you please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah azza wa jal will bring you satisfaction. When you please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make you from amongst those who is happy. Allah will relieve your stress. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take away your depression. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make you concerned. And matters are worthy to be concerned. Wallahi, yes, there are moments that we are stressed. Wallahi, my brothers and sisters, our only way of happiness and relieving stress from us is to please, to please Allah Azza wa Jalla. Turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah will turn to you. Be with Allah and Allah will be, will be with you. Do the righteous deeds and actions and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you happiness. If you are stressed, fear Allah azza wa and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make an opening for you. If you are stuck in a problem, fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah azza wa will take you out of that problem. If you are depressed, fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah azza wa will make an opening for you out of that depression. Rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you've got everything. Rely on Allah Azza wa Jalla and Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala will give you everything. Rely on Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala and Allah Azza wa Jalla will grant you everything. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that if any of you is ever tried by a tribulation, then let him remember his trial and tribulation through my calamity. For indeed, it is the greatest of trials. What is happening here, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is alluding to the death of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It is the greatest trial that every Muslim goes through without even realizing it. And let's look at why. You look at the status of the Prophet ﷺ, he was every man's best friend. So people lost their best friends. People lost their consolers. 
The wives of the Prophet lost their husband. The Muslim community lost their leader. The old women in the community who had no one to tell their problems to, they used to tell it to the Messenger of Allah. They lost the ones who would hear them out. Now imagine the greatest of all trials. The Prophet ﷺ was our direct link to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet ﷺ was our direct link to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In times of trials and tribulation, you have a decision to make. Either you can get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that is your way to paradise. Or you can decide to live with your pain, seek the pity of people, and let the pain get worse, and create your own destruction. He who has Allah has everything. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alleviates the pains of every believer and of every Muslim, and that He makes it a path to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rather than a path that leads away from Him. I hope you are in a very good state And I hope that you have um, high iman. I want to tell you, don't ever be sad. Because Allah is with you. This life is not worth, worth of being sad. So you should always smile. Even sometimes you feel upset. I also feel upset all a lot of times. Because I really just want to go home to Jenny and I want to listen to good and I want to read Quran all day if you ever feel sad you should just go Jesus Lord and you should remember that you're from the Muslim Ummah that means that everyone is making that for you including me so just keep your head high and be strong because because after hardship is ease. Just like Allah promised in the Quran. When you feel sad, remember this life is just a test. And soon you'll be over. And you'll be happy forever in Jannah. You won't be sad. Everything that's meant to happen to you, Allah wanted it to happen to you. So be happy for that. Don't be sad. You're Muslim and Allah loves you. So love him back. I know I'm just a little girl. Please listen to me when I talk. When you get to Jenny, you won't even remember these times. And um, when something bad happens to you or you get hurt, Allah will take the bad things away. Inshallah, you'll find your way. Sorry about that. Sometimes Allah tests us with hardships, but Allah tests the people that He loves. So He loves you, and I love you too so much. I hope this made you happy. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. I will tell you this story. A man that existed amongst the companions who used to, like, could see him talking normal and smiling or laughing and then suddenly at occasions he would start to cry and cry so much until he went unconscious the companions told the Prophet about this man to try and read on him for healing so the Prophet called this man and wanted to help him he took him aside and he said what, what, what happens to you my brother the man said to him Ya Rasulullah I was never going to tell anyone this but now that you've asked me I must tell you before I embraced Islam I used to have a daughter and when she was born 
I wanted to bury her because the cultural ideology came into my mind. And I started to think that when she grows older, she will bring shame to my family. But I stopped myself. My heart for my daughter was overpowering me. Years and years went, par went by as I watched her grow. And then one day when she reached close to a blossoming age, she was about to become a lady. He said, I began to have nightmares and desperation and distress. The pain of my culturalism came into me thinking of the shame that my daughter is going to bring with me if she walked off with another fellow and brought shame to my, all my ancestors. Day by day, I wanted to do something, but then my heart, my love stopped me. Until one day, he said, I could not handle it anymore, Ya Rasulullah. I said to her mother, dress her up with, a, with neat clothes and comb her hair nicely and decorate her face and tell her your father today is taking you out to a party celebration so that she can play with the other friends of hers. The mother knew that the father was up to a plot and a plan. So she dressed her daughter up. She combed her hair while she was crying. The mother was crying. And she powdered her face and made her nice while the mother was crying. And the daughter's asking, what's wrong mother? And the mother would say nothing, daughter. She's not allowed. Otherwise the husband will beat her or probably even kill her. The daughter said, daddy's taking me out for a celebration. I love my dad. After, after decorating her, the father came along in the evening. And he took his daughter. The wife grabbed, grabbed her husband's hand and said to him and whispered to him, but his daughter could hear. And she said some words that made his heart shiver and the, word, and the daughter to remember. O oh man, do not lose the trust. Your daughter is your trust. The man took his daughter away. And on his way, he's thinking to himself, what am I going to do? And the daughter is playing around her father, thinking that her father loves her. He said, I approached a very deep well, which was steep and deep and it had rocks, sharp rocks at the bottom. He said, suddenly the pains and agonies of my culturism came and burnt me. And I began to think, should I throw her? Should I not throw her? So I would come close, then my heart would not let me. Suddenly the culturalism would come in. He said, I wrestled and wrestled. Suddenly, when I came close to the well, I grabbed my daughter and I threw her into the well. And my daughter howled with her open, horrific eyes, looking at me and saying to me, Daddy, لا تضيع الأمانة. Oh, Dad, don't lose the trust. Don't lose the trust, Daddy. The man then threw her into the well. He said, Ya Rasulullah, she kept falling, saying, لا تضيع الأمانة, Ya Abi. لا تضيع الأمانة, until her tiny voice went away. I couldn't hear her anymore and she died, Ya Rasulullah. The Prophet ﷺ looked up at him and his beard was soaked with tears. And the Prophet's beard was soaked with tears and he said to him, If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was to allow me to punish anyone for the killing and murder of anyone before Islam, I would have started with you. I would have started with you. The Prophet ﷺ was the most compassionate, even to the women. And he used to say to them, Mahlam bil qawarir, take care of your precious pearls, your daughters and your wives. Have kindness towards your wives and be patient with them. Abu Bakr was not as poor as Abu Dhar and Abu Huraira, but he was better than them. And he did, was not tortured like Hamza and Khabbab, but he was better than them. And he was not injured severely in the battlefield like Ubaidah and Khalid, but he was better than them. And he did not die as a shaheed like Umar and Uthman and Ali, but he was better than them. So what's the secret? Bakr al-Muzani, Ahd al-Tabi'een, he told us the secret. لم يسبقهم بكثرة صلاة ولا صيام إنما بشيء وقر في قلبه. Abu Bakr did not 
exceed them with a lot of salat and a lot of siyam, a lot of fasting. But with something that settled in his heart. A'mal al-qulub. There's a'mal of the jawarih, and then there are actions of the heart. This is where Abu Bakr radiallahu surpassed, not the ones we mentioned, everybody. As a matter of fact, we all hear that if there's a scale and the iman of Abu Bakr in one pan and the iman of the whole ummah in another pan, the iman of Abu Bakr is stronger. Allahu Akbar. As we all know, the iman is of three things, right? Three steps. Saying with the tongue, believing in the heart, and proving it with your actions. All three of them combined will make me and you a mu'min. We concentrate a lot on the tongue and on the actions. But we have some deficiency when it comes to what Abu Bakr mastered, the amal of the qulub, the actions of the heart. Every ibadah, it has physical manifestation and it also has the qalb part, the heart part. Like the salat, the, the ruku' and the sujood, they are the physical actions. But the khushu'a, which is what makes the salat salat, is an action of the heart. The siyam, the fasting, the staying away from eating and, and, and drinking is the manifestation but the actual amal of the qalb is to achieve taqwa. It's the amal of the qalb. Hajj, similarly, tawaf, sa'i, rami, all these actions of the body, of the limbs. But the actual thing is, ta'zim sha'airillah, is to venerate the orders of Allah Azza wa Jal. And similarly, raising your hands in the dua and saying all these things are all actions, but actually humbling yourself in the dua is the amal of the heart. And similarly, every single ibadah. So what are the amal of the qulub? What are the actions of the heart? The actions of the heart is something I cannot see. I look at you right now, I don't know how much, for example, fear of Allah is an action of the heart. Hubb of Allah is an action of the heart. Khushu' is an action of the heart. Ikhlas is an action of the heart, sincerity. And I will take this one today quickly, inshallah, because this is the most important amal of the qalb. As a matter of fact, it is one of the, con one of the two conditions for any amal to be accepted. It has to be sincerely for Allah and according to the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu If these two conditions are not in any, anything you could cross your mind, in salat, in siyam, in sadaqah, anything, in coming to the masjid today. If I pray three rak'ah, it's not according to the sunnah. If I came just to show off, the salat is gone. So it has to be both in order for the amal to be accepted. So let's talk about sincerity quickly. And to mention sincerity, I mentioned a, a story. We mentioned it before, but inshallah, it's good to mention it again. Maslama, one of the greatest soldiers he once sieged a fortress for the Byzantine for 18 months. So the siege stayed for 18 months and the soldiers, the Muslim soldiers are getting, are getting very tired. So Muslim gathered all the soldiers and he told them, the only way we can win this battle is for one of you 
to go through this tunnel. There's a tunnel that will get you to the other side. You go through this tunnel and you open the gates for us. Who will go through the tunnel? Nobody. Raise their hand. Nobody knows what's in that tunnel. <laughs> Who will go through the tunnel? Nobody. And then a masked man, he raised his hand and left. He went through the tunnel. Only Allah knows what's inside that tunnel. Snakes, scorpions, sewage. He went through the tunnel. Long story short, he came from the other side, fought fearlessly, killed all the guards and opened the door for the Muslims. They came in and they became victorious. So naturally, Muslim gathered all the soldiers again. Aina sahib al Who's the man of the tunnel? Nobody. Aina sahib al Where's the man of the tunnel? Nobody. Astahlifuka billah. For the sake of Allah. Tell us who you are. Nobody. While Muslim in his tent at night, a masked man came. He said, I have a message from the man of the tunnel. Listen carefully. He has conditions, three conditions. If you fulfill them, he will tell you who he is. He said, go ahead. What are the conditions? He said, number one. You do not praise him in front of all the other soldiers. Number two, you do not send a, rec a letter of recommendation to the Khalifa to honor him. Number three, you will never treat him different than anybody else. Maslama said, Hadr. So the man took his mask for two seconds showed his face and left. Maslama says, since that night, no qiyam passed except I said, Ya Rabb, ahshurni ma'sahib al-naqb. Ya Allah, gather me with the man of the tunnel. My brothers and sisters, this is what this man did. Everybody after that, you know who you're talking to? I'm the man of the tunnel. He wants everybody to know. If it was one of us, everybody wants to know who's that man on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, everybody. This is the man of the tunnel. And this is exactly what's happening right now. There's no amal that we do except everybody knows about it. Everywhere, everybody. In a fraction of a second, we want to tell everybody what we did. Everything. If you can control your ikhlas, bismillah. But I'm telling you, it's extremely hard. Very hard to do something for the sake of Allah and for the sake of pleasing everybody. Ikhlas, ya akhwan. It's a amal of the qalb. That's why when, when Umar followed Abu Bakr, we're talking about Abu Bakr. What does he do every day after Fajr? He goes to that house we all know and he cleans the apartment, the, the small room for the woman. She's an older lady. And he told, who's this man? She doesn't know who he is. How about if she knew it was Amir al-Mu'mineen? 
She doesn't know who he is. You know why? Allah knows. When we reach this, when we reach this in our, all our affairs, you are, you are there. When we reach the point that Allah knows, that's all I care about. Whether it's a donation, whether it's a, I prayed Fajr in Jama'ah, whether it's a, I went to Umrah, Allah knows. That's all I care about. I helped somebody, I paid somebody's debt without him knowing, Allah knows. Unfortunately, with all the social media era right now, everybody knows. And with the assistance of the shaitan, he wants us to tell everybody about everything that we do. So, ya Akhwan, let's try as much as we can to try to hide like the, when, uh, when one of the Salaf was asked, define ikhlas or define a mukhlis. He said a mukhlis is the person who hides his good deeds just like we hide our evil deeds. Nobody is going to come here. Oh, yesterday I drank. Yesterday I committed this. Nobody. We hide those. The mukhlis hide. I donated I traveled, I supported an orphan, I took care of Udu. This is what he hides. Subhanallah. Introducing the top-rated Islamic app in the world, One Islam TV. The app offers a smooth, immersive viewing experience with user-friendly features and seamless interface. Discover the power of technology for the purpose of spreading the light of Islam to every corner of the world. Download the One Islam TV app now.